Ross Ulbricht is serving a double life sentence without parole for all nonviolent charges for creating a website. Please help free this peaceful man. Go to freeross.org and sign and share the petition. Hey everybody, welcome to the Dissecting Liberty podcast. Uh, I, I gotta warn you. We, we've been talking for about an hour, uh, spanning everything from, let's see, uh, Western movies to washing your hands with gasoline <laughs> to, uh, uh, there was one other thing other than religion, but, uh, Boy Scouts, we talked Scouts, about Boy Scouts, yeah. right, to, uh, to religion, and we've been talking for a little over an hour, and then we're like, hey, why weren't we recording? <laughs> so uh, just decided to uh, 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 press the uh, the record button. Uh, so anyway, I'm Cotton. And I'm Liberty Zero. Um, so I'm just going to... I mean, the, the, the religion conversation was probably the most uh, intellectually entertaining convo. So I'll, I'll kind of catch everybody up. Um, like I was talking about growing up Catholic and my falling out with Catholicism, uh, it, it largely began with catechism. And if you don't know what catechism is, it's basically a, a once a week meeting, um, that Catholic children go to very similar to Sunday school, except in my experience, it was basically explaining the same, uh, concepts each week but like with each year it was tackled a little bit um more intricately given a little bit more detail and described a little bit more abstractly uh that the older kids could understood uh, understand the older you got and um like my problem was i was i got very bored because i was like uh yeah i get it you know you you ex- we were explaining this last year, you know, what's your point? And, um, eventually, uh, well, at, at, um, at 13, you quote unquote graduate from catechism. And I'm fairly certain it's 13. Uh, but you graduate in something called your confirmation. Uh, and it's like a confirmation of the faith. And you go through this big ceremony, and I think you get a certificate. And um, and I remember at 12, I told my mom, who I didn't tell you this, Zero, but she was <laughs> she was my catechism teacher, which oh. made it, <laughs> it did a little bit worse. Um, but I told my mom I wasn't going to be going to catechism anymore. And uh, I didn't believe in God, and I didn't. I was going to stop going to church and all this. I, I started getting really into Christopher Hitchens and and uh, that lot of people. Um, and uh, it really upset her, as you can imagine. Uh, but since then, I have. It's largely through my. Uh, 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 studying psychology that uh, I have found a, a newfound respect 
for uh, catechism. I, um, because so much of psychology is either crappy research that can't be replicated or, uh, very basic research that can be replicated. We think it's true and it is supporting something that, you know, the ancient Jews and Christians wrote forever ago. Uh, Is that better? Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, it's it's just confirming things that that people in a in the uh, uh, Abrahamic religions already believed, and that's pretty incredible. Um, but that's my and 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 then the other thing is you know I'm 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 waiting on a good woman that'll get me to church so the applicants are open hey bro go to church and you'll find that woman <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i have kind of a hang-up on on single women hanging around church yeah i feel that, that. Does that, that kind of seems like a, a red flag i don't know <laughs> no i've had i've had bad luck with uh uh catholic girls in that situation oh okay <laughs> But maybe that's the problem. Maybe the Catholicism is the problem. Maybe I need to go hang out around like Methodist churches. <laughs> well, I mean, I met my uh, fiance at a like this kind of campus ministry deal that uh, like I, I was running the uh, the soundboard for them. They're like meeting at this uh, church, and uh, like I'm not a student anymore, but uh, they like I, I kept running it because I was the only one who knew how to run a soundboard. Yeah. So yeah, they, I'm still doing it actually. But <laughs> anyway, yeah, uh, I met her there, and that was pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, like I, um, I think religion has a lot of uh, good stuff that uh, gets lost very easily when um, like the, the biggest thing and this, this uh, if, if I had stuck with it, it might've informed my, uh, my libertarian beliefs. But since I didn't, my libertarian beliefs have kind of informed this. Uh, the biggest thing is the belief that, like nature is a static thing that uh, cannot be changed or tampered with. And by nature, I don't mean like uh, like using nature. You know, you're not you're not necessarily, in my definition, you're not necessarily tampering with nature when you grow corn. Mm-hmm. But it's it's like uh, trying to organize a society without hierarchies. You know, that's tampering with nature. Yeah. You know, and, and a lot of this, uh, like, what, what really clicked with me was, um, I think it was Thomas Aquinas, because he wrote a, about that a good bit. And I know um, Tom Woods is a big Aquinas guy, as are a lot of kind of small government property right-minded people. Um, 
but it's 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 like uh oh and, and then the other guy is the philosopher um uh spinoza okay yeah i've heard of him yeah i mean he was like nature isn't something that you can change but it's something that you can better understand as to um live your life uh better like his his uh spinoza's or wasn't his example but it was somebody's example from his explanation um was you know you're 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 on a sailboat in the middle of the ocean and if you don't understand nature or god uh he used those fairly interchangeably um then you are on the sailboat and you do not know how to sail so you mm. are just completely at the whim of the wind and the ocean uh but understanding god and nature is god and nature um is understanding how to sail so things aren't going to be perfect you know they're going to be rogue waves and there might be a change in the wind but you can better um, uh, recalibrate your trajectory if you understand how to sail. And then the other thing is uh, oh, uh, Jonathan Haidt, who's a kind of a pop psychologist. He has the the first example I'd ever, I, I ever heard of anything like this. Uh, he had the example of the, uh, the elephant and the rider, where if you don't understand, I don't think he connected this to God, but he said if you don't, your emotions are like an elephant and your rational mind is like the rider. Um, and on any given day, you cannot control where the elephant goes, you know, but through different, uh, uh, oh, uh, um, strategies and like he said, meditation and stuff like that and understanding yourself, you can begin to better control the elephant. You can never have mm. full control, but you can better steer the elephant. Which, and I, I totally agree with that, and I like that example quite a lot. Yeah, I guess. Would you mind expanding on, uh, on that? But going, going into, like how stoicism like how that uh like if that's like an answer or if that like yeah like how how do you think that works into that okay so here's the thing about stoicism um now i i can't uh oh i don't remember the guy's name he's like part of the uh uh part of the uh 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 revival of stoicism um holiday i'm looking it up right now i think his name is holiday uh oh man uh anyway uh so the the ancient stoics believed um that you can completely get rid of your emotions um which is which is impossible yeah Uh, yeah now, here's a, a little known, um, yeah, the guy's name is uh, Ryan Holiday. Uh, he wrote the book called The da- Daily Stoic, which is a great book. It's, it's like daily oh, affirmations to read. Yeah, I've heard of that, yeah. 
It's it's a really great book, and there's a lot of stuff that the Stoics wrote that are really good. I, I like the Stoics. Uh, but here's a little-known competitor to the Stoics back in the day, uh, Epicur- the Epicureans. Yeah, they're like, well, isn't aren't they? They're actually thought to be like the polar opposite, but like in reality, they're not as different as. They're, yeah. They're not as different, but the the Epicureans, the Epic, uh, Epicurus basically invented time preference, which is okay. Crazy. Yeah, uh, like he said that it's good to enjoy things. You know, every now I, I forget the exact example, but he had an example with cheese. You know, uh, it's good to enjoy cheese, but it may not be good to enjoy a whole round of cheese. You know. Uh, right have a little bit enjoy it but think about how having too much may affect you in the future um and then he said the same thing with drink you know it's fine to drink it may be healthy from time to times uh time to time when you're you know enjoying company and uh it might be nice to to share a drink but don't have eight you know mm-hmm and uh, I like that a lot better, but but it's it's basically very similar to uh, uh, the goal of Stoics, which was like living a, a better life, uh, a more fulfilled life. But the the thing with the Stoics is they believed that uh, you can through, and they all had different ways of doing it, but you can through whichever, whether it's Zeno or um, uh, uh, Marcus Aurelius or whatever through there. There are ways you can like achieve a totally rational state of being with with no emotional input. Uh, but the the uh, the Epicureans <clears throat> uh, didn't necessarily believe in uh, getting rid of your emotions totally. And the other thing about the the Stoics and the Epicureans, this isn't incredibly important, but I want to I want to show off my knowledge a little bit. Uh, <laughs> the the Stoic physics were incredibly limiting, like they believed that the world was a constant loop. So you know you you live, you die, you're reborn, and then you live your exact same life. So in the Stoic physics there's no room for free will which doesn't really add up with the you know do through meditation you can get rid of emotions wait 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 so i i have to understand this yeah so you live your exact same life yeah like down to every action yeah like the 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 universe is a constant loop um that is born and everything that has ever happened happens and then it dies and then it is reborn in the exact same way. And then it is a constant chain that repeats itself, uh, infinitely. But so now does that, so like, obviously I don't think that they were denying the fact that like time goes on. Right. But it's just that it's just that, you relive it like at the, like I guess <laughs> I'm trying to wrap, I, wrap my I, head. I guess they wouldn't say that time ends. 
mm-hmm. like there's no end to time, but that rather it just restarts or resets, you know, but now, it do doesn't you have... end. Okay. <clears throat> so you're, you're, li- you're living your life along with everyone else throughout history. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, and I don't, I don't remember, uh, I might have it ready to, to look, to, uh, cite, but I don't remember who that was exactly. Um, okay, here it is. Uh, might be able to tell you who exact, which philosopher of the Stoic school. Um, I don't know if you can hear my page turning. Oh, I, I can definitely hear it. <laughs> uh, just, just imagine me with a uh, a pipe and like a monocle. Uh, a roaring fire in the background. That's right. I a guess cat. it was, you know, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it was uh, Diogenes. Okay, yeah. Who was writing about Zeno. So Zeno or Diogenes basically the same thing now another question i have is uh in their quest to like rid themselves of all the like basically all the effects that their emotions have did they have to did the stoics have to like come to a better understanding of emotions or were they focused on uh, were, were they focused on habits that like basically minimized uh, emotions? It was the habits. Okay. Almost entirely, yeah. Like the, the Epicureans might say um, that like it's an, it's okay to enjoy a cigarette from time to time, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Like if, if, uh, I, I know there's a, I don't know if this is a, uh, uh, like a countrywide saying, but, um, that, that there's a saying around here, or at least in my group, that's, uh, never refuse a cigarette from a girl, you know? <laughs> so like you're somewhere and a, a cute girl offers you a cigarette, you take it, you know? Yeah. But don't get addicted to cigarettes. You know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that that's a very Epicurean mindset. You know, but the the Stoics would be no, don't take the cigarette, don't talk to the girl, go read philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> the girls get it's it's like that meme where there's like some girl taking a bikini picture in her uh, uh bathroom and you know there's a head blocking her butt and it's like no, women are not the answer. <laughs> In fact, one of those, one of those, I think the first meme of that was Marcus Aurelius, uh, his face over the girl's butts, like, no, you know, go read philosophy, understand Aristotle. <laughs> breasts are temporary. <laughs> exactly. It's breasts are temporary. Rationality is it infinite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, here's another question that, that I've come up with. Um, yeah. So I know that the Stoics, like, they don't believe in a completely joyless life, right? Yeah. They, but they, they do think that through 
uh, like good habits and and uh, and being more rational that like you'll you will live a more fulfilling life like how like how do they try to balance that with so if, if you're trying to like rid yourself of emotions right yeah to me like the first like my first thought in in trying to do that would be like oh just become dead inside right yeah like but i like it doesn't seem like that's really like their track right yeah well so um the the stoics are like uh the okay so this is like forgotten uh but i i have a decent understanding of the history of philosophy so uh like epicureanism is largely forgotten but in the context of that time and competing philosophies it helps a lot to compare the two yeah that's why i keep bringing up and i just like epicureanism better um but so like the (laughs) the i mean it's a lot more uh reasonable to me right Um, but the epicureans would say live your life in like the best possible manner to to produce a uh happy and productive life so that would be um work out often but you know you go to dinner and maybe have a piece of cake every now and again you know Mm -hmm. don't completely cut out vices you know because then uh you know and enjoying like a a a glass of wine or something you know that's that's a great thing um but don't do it often the stoics would be change your definition of what it means to uh be dead inside you know like switch it up like uh think think about it in the way um like the, the, the Stoics came from the Platonic position largely. So earlier when I said go read some Aristotle, I was, I was really wrong. Um, but they, they thought that, you know, think of it like it is to be dead inside, to, to be, um, uh, to engage in, in carnal hedonistic pleasures at all. You know, and then think about it being a rewarding life to study philosophy and uh, engage in politics and and do that solely. Um, so uh, it, 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 the Stoicism does not leave much room for how most of us would think of not being dead inside, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're more of the position to change your definition of what being dead inside means, you know. Or- or don't look at look on it as a bad thing. Yeah, maybe. yeah. Like the the Epicureans would be like, uh, you know, hey, you know, you've been working really hard for the past couple of weeks. Uh, you know, you got a couple of days off. Uh, spend some time with your significant other and binge watch a show. You know, right. It's good quality time. You're not really getting anything done. Nothing really productive is happening. But, you know, it's you you've done good work. 
and you got a lot of it done. Um, so have, have a good time. Unwind a little bit. The Stoics would be like, no, get rid of your Netflix prescription or uh, subscription and leave the girl and go read The Republic by Plato. Yeah, it's like a, like a doomer mentality, right? It's like... Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's 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 cool stuff. Uh, like, and and that's not to say that the Stoics don't have anything useful to say. Like right. uh, people like Ryan Holiday, who I like a lot. I mean, he considers himself a Stoic. I wouldn't necessarily consider him a philosopher. Um, but he wrote a book uh, called uh, oh, "The Obstacle Is the Way." Um, I've never read it but it looks really good. He wrote a book called uh, Ego is the Enemy, which looks really good. Uh, the only I've only read two of his books, uh, The Daily Stoic, and uh, I think it was his first book. No, it was a second book called Perennial Seller, which if you're interested in business um, or trying to make a product for sale, definitely check out Perennial Seller. It's a really great book, and he talks about some stoic things in there. Uh, cause like it's, it's about making a product that is, uh, that won't go out of fashion, you know, find a product that is useful for people, uh, along like a 30 year time span. Um, cause he says like most products outlive their usefulness, uh, under 10 years, you know, and people like that don't make a ton of money, but right. you know, if, if your product can, uh, be a solid seller for 30 years then it is perennial you know yeah and i mean there's a lot of diligence in that and it's a great book uh and and you know he wrote like the obstacle is the way and ego is the enemy there's a lot of stoic stuff in that and it's very useful uh and i know marcus aurelius's uh meditations um are like a uh are a constant seller you know it's a it's a a lot of useful stuff in there um for living a better life and overcoming hardships uh but you know i i think for like a literal uh daily application of the philosophy i think uh epicureanism is a, is a much better pick mm-hmm now, if if you're good with this, uh, are you comfortable with expounding on uh, uh, Immanuel Kant and his? Uh, oh shoot, what was uh, his main? What was his main thing? The categorical the, imperative. Yes, yes, the categorical yeah. imperative. Yeah. Because, um, like, so I, I I took a ethics class and I, I like they were kind of, we were arguing and talking about like the different, uh, like schools of thought or like ethical, um, philosophies. Yeah. And, and like the main, like the main two, uh, philosophies that they're like, 
yeah, ethical philosophies that they were kind of kind of pitting against each other was a uh, was the categorical imperative in, in Immanuel Kant, right? Yeah. Uh, and then uh, 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 Mill, Mill, yeah, yeah, utilitarianism with Mill. Yeah. John John Stuart Mill, right? Yeah. And uh, I I preferred uh, Kant because whenever I was like reading about utilitarianism, like I, I got the impression that like, oh, well, I mean, it's, it's just kind of up to you to decide or like, like it leaves a lot of room for like subjectivity. Yeah. Whereas, um, whereas Kant, uh, is far more objective while not completely, you know, like yeah. that, you, you know, it, it, there's still room for human error. Right. But yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. If you wanted to go into that. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll give like a brief definition of, of both of them. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, utilitarianism is largely defined as uh, like do an action that brings about the most happiness. The most famous. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. I, I'll define a, uh, uh, the categorical imperative, and I'll just read it. Um, so there, there's three formulae in uh, the categorical imperative. The first one is that of universality. It's act only according to that maxim, whereby you can at the same time will that it should become a personal or a universal law. Um, so that would be like... Uh, uh, you know, if you do something that nobody else can do uh, and have it be and OK, if you do something and if anyone else were to do it, it would end poorly. Mm-hmm. Then you cannot do it morally. <clears throat> the second formulation. Oh, come on. uh Act in such a way that you treat humanity never merely as a means to an end, but always at the same time as an end. Uh, that's I have a bit of a problem with that because most people use the example of slavery in that, using people as a as a a means. Um, but a lot of people with like the the socialist mindset also put that. Uh, use that as an example for why like wage labor is wrong. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I, I completely disagree with. Uh, and then the third is uh, the idea of the will of every rational being as a universality. No, I'm sorry the idea of the will of every rational being as a universally legislating will. Uh, so that is basically the example that, that uh, I was given with that one is, um, you know, we're on a planet and we're in a wide universe and the universe does not care about us. And I don't think that's a really great example. The other example is, that person A is not any more valuable than person B, 
So their moral worth is the same, basically. Which I don't necessarily agree with either. You know, if uh, somebody is a murderous, pedophilic uh, degenerate, you know, I don't, I don't think they're necessarily worth worth the same morally as a uh, an upstanding member of society. But the uh, I'll, I'll circle back to utilitarianism. The the a big example against a, a totalitarianism or a, I'm sorry utilitarianism. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> there, there's not that much difference, but I can get into that too. Um, the the one of the biggest examples against utilitarianism is well, you know, if there are two different populations in a state, it might be more beneficial to population A if you kill off population B. You know, that would that may cause more happiness in population A because now there's more living room and there's there's a uh, more opportunity for business and and this and that. Um, but that's not okay. You know, right? Definitely not morally justifiable. And then the other thing about utilitarianism is, uh, it basically acts in a way as if there were no nature which is kind of circling back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, you know, like, uh, uh, oh man, I forget the guy's name. He was the mentor of John Stuart Mill. He was like the first, uh, proponent of utilitarianism. But I was notified of some excerpts from one of his books recently, uh, where he was talking about, he visited Russia it was Imperial Russia at the time. And um, he, uh, Jeremy Bentham, that's his name. Yeah. And he saw how they organized their schools <clears throat> where they had like these uh, big round rooms that could be observed from a second story. And um, he, uh, the, the observer could call out students and chastise them and punish them from this elevated position. And Jeremy Bentham, the original proponent of utilitarianism, thought that was a great plan. <laughs> and he wanted to organize all of society like that, from schools to workplaces to prisons. And, of course, he would be the observer uh, handing out praise and punishment, you know. But uh, it's it's uh the the utilitarianism thing is a uh, kind of a it's also kind of wide reaching. Like Mises considered himself a utilitarianism, and so did Karl Marx. So like the 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 basic thing is, like I said earlier, do something that creates the most happiness. But that is not so much. Um, that's more quantitative than it is qualitative. Like it, it, it's missing a piece and that piece is how you create more happiness. You know, somebody in their demented mind can think that uh, uh, poisoning a water supply would make people more happy because they'd be dead, you know, and they wouldn't have any sadness. Right. Um, but with uh, the uh, categorical imperative and the categorical, the blah, blah, blah the categorical imperative 
uh, leaves a lot more room for religion uh, in your uh, like he tried to kind of um, uh, universalize and objectify religious morality like he said that um oh, what what did he say he said that uh oh he said you know murder isn't wrong because god said so god said murder is wrong because it is wrong inherently you know mm, yeah yeah and uh it it the categorical imperative is a lot more confusing and there's a lot more moving pieces but it it definitely is a much more convincing case. Right. Um, I wanted to kind of go back to the... Um, you had the three points of the categorical imperative, right? Yeah. Uh, and then the second one was that you shouldn't use a person as a means to an end. Yeah. And that that one was kind of interesting because I, I don't I don't know how you get through life without doing that. You know what I mean? Yeah, like uh... it's it's like if you were to go to like a store, right? Yeah, and you know, there, like you have the cashier. Right. And your only reason for interacting with them is so that you can like exchange like, you know, to like where you can go through with this transaction. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, like you don't have to obviously you don't have to treat them like crap, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it's like uh, that that whole exchange right there is you're, you're using them as a as a means to an end. And yeah. I don't know how you avoid that. Yeah, it definitely doesn't leave much room for progress, you know, because society is like mutually agreed upon uses of each other as a means. You know, like if you're trading somebody uh, corn for wheat, you know, each person is using each other as a means to obtain either corn or wheat, you mm -hmm. know, but, but everybody benefits at the end. You know, uh, I don't think um, Immanuel Kant. Uh, <clears throat> I am not sure that Immanuel Kant wrote before uh, Karl Menger, who's like, do you know about Menger? Yeah, he's the isn't he the father of Austrian? Yeah, economics. Uh, yeah, uh, he he's the guy that that really it didn't really work out for him. But um, right. he's like one of the first people that really argued for uh, uh, like the theory of uh, subjective value, you know, because before mm. then everybody thought value came from the work that was put into something. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, Immanuel Kant definitely wrote before him. So... Uh, they were uh, in the kind of the, the dark ages of economics, I guess. Um, so I, 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 
I, I can kind of understand it. I'm, I'm, I'm torn between things like that. Like, you know, if, if Immanuel Kant was such a great mind, he would, he should have been able to recognize that it is conducive to a successful society to, at different points, use people as a means. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's not to say, well, I, what he mostly was attacking with that second point was slavery. Uh, oh, okay. But that, that's not the only way it can be interpreted. And that's the problem, you know, and that, right. that's, the, that's the other problem with, with philosophers. You know, they don't, they, sometimes they don't, uh, to try to, uh, uh, save like the the lyrical value of their writing they may not say things bluntly you know so in that in that in uh 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 grounding for the metaphysics of morals he didn't write you know hey bro i'm talking about slavery you know uh but i mean it's largely a good thing to to do you know don't use people like we say that just kind of colloquially mm-hmm. uh, and that's basically what he meant you know don't don't take advantage of people don't trick them you know right for your own benefit and i mean that that's that's how i interpret it but the the socialists interpret it differently okay so kind of switching gears here if you don't mind yeah um if, if you, uh, like, read any into objectivism, right? Yeah. Uh, Ayn Rand sees, like, selfishness as, like, a, a moral virtue, right? Yeah. And while I don't necessarily... Like, I, I, I definitely see your point on that. I, I don't necessarily agree. Yeah. And that's that's not really, like what I want to get into so much, but that it kind of set me off like on a, on a different um, pattern or like a, a, it set me off on another rabbit trail, I guess. And like, that is like, do people like, is it possible for like people to, make like truly like selfless decisions right we, we use this term right yeah and, and we say oh wow that's really generous of you or, or you know you're so selfless but to me i don't really i don't really see that because yeah okay if if we're rational beings right um like, like we we see that being generous or being quote unquote selfless like it has its uh like its perks right yeah and it's not like like even if it's unconsciously right like there are benefits to being selfless or being like even like a good person or whatever right so i don't i don't know if there's actually any such thing as a truly selfless yeah you know act whether or not altruism exists yes exactly yeah well yeah, when yeah. i i took my uh 
an ethics course and um, <clears throat> when we were talking about uh, uh, utilitarianism we wrote a book um, by this guy named Peter Singer who's a, a philosopher he's a really crappy one uh, I mean he's the worst he's a horrible guy and he wrote this book called The Most Good You Can Do, How Effective Altruism is Changing Ideas About Living Ethically. And oh, basically, great. yeah, <laughs> and the, the, the thesis of the book was live as though you don't die, but give every little bit of excess away. Oh, right. Uh which is which the biggest problem and he covered it a little bit and he left room for this but the biggest problem is uh uh if if you don't keep excess that you can later invest you know when you do that you create more wealth which helps everybody you know but right. no he, he was he was completely backing things where you just give people stuff you know just just give somebody money, you know, and that, that's better. Don't give them an opportunity to work, you know, God forbid. Um, but, and then that's the other thing is like these people are living this way. Um, and, you know, somebody will, will start a program. I forget some of the big ones that were in the book. But uh, they'll start a program that donates um, like mosquito nets to people in Africa, which is a, a great thing. Right. Um, and they also live very meagerly and donate everything they make. So according to them and Peter Singer, they are living completely altruistically. Hmm. But they're getting all this attention. You know, they're speaking at places. They're getting written about in this book. They have their name plastered all over the website, you know, so you can't say they're not necessarily getting anything out of it. And they don't expressly say that they aren't enjoying it, you know. Right. Uh, so, I mean, I I, I don't think that uh, uh, altruism really exists outside of, like, children. You know, like, you're, you're if you're a good parent, typically you're going to be altruist in a, in a understandable manner towards your children, you know, you're going to, they're going to have, like your children are going to have to learn tough life lessons. And there's sometimes that you can't and you shouldn't help them. You know, if they, if they made their bed and it's not going to kill them, you know, let them lie in it. But you know, you're, you're going to love them unconditionally. Uh, but I mean, like, you know, would you love somebody in uh, a random person in Spain, the same as you would love your daughter? You know, I don't think so. And I think it's unreasonable to assume that people can possibly do that. And that, that's my biggest problem with, with uh, altruism. So, all right. But you, but you kind of made an exception there with possibly your children, right? Uh, yeah. Do you have an example? Because, like, to me, I don't, I don't, see that so if okay you, you want to go ahead and go into that yeah like a, a big example is uh you know say somebody has a son and when the son is 17 they get addicted to pain pills mm -hmm. uh, there, there's a there's a, a good movie to watch called a uh, beautiful boy um, dude i watched that like 
a few weeks ago <laughs> with it's my a, fiance. <laughs> it's a good movie. It's sad, but it's a good movie, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, like, think about that. You know, so uh, your child gets gets addicted to a drug, and they are hell to live with, and are hell to be around, and it's it's horrible to be engaged with them in any way. But you are gonna try and help them any way you can within yeah. within your possibility you know if you if you pay for rehab eight times then you know you might as well not pay for the ninth time you yeah. know but you're sure as hell gonna pay for the first you know what i mean if right. you can but like every parent would should want to you know right um but okay so uh think about that you know your uh your son's addicted to heroin and you have the option of sending him to rehab or sending someone else's child to rehab that's in another country that you've never met you know you're you're gonna you're gonna definitely send your son to rehab uh, Mm -hmm. as you should you know um but you shouldn't expect to have that same uh, compassion and forgiveness for a random person anywhere else on the planet. So that's my belief. Did, did I explain that well? Well, okay, so I guess I'll go into to, to me that if I'm wrong anywhere here, like stop me, correct me, okay. right? Uh, but like to me, altruism is like giving to someone else or to others, uh, and like with with no like expectation, yeah, with no expectation of like getting anything out of it, and that's part of why I don't think like that it could exist, yeah, right. Because to me, you're always getting something out of it, right? Yeah. Like, even if it's just, like, a good feeling, right? Like, you you feel good about yourself. Like, to me, that completely, like, I mean, to me, that basically uh, discounts the idea, right? Yeah. It discredits it. Like, the idea, like, it's, yeah. Uh. So, but so you were saying that, like it's possible maybe with with a child, but like to me it's always, or to me even like let's say, you, you're always gonna like okay you have a you have a drug addict child right yeah uh to me even sending them to rehab for the eighth time like i i guess like you still have like a hope or a like you're hoping to get something out of it still yeah and that's why you do it okay well i, I think we have different definitions of altruism then okay go ahead uh, uh what's, what's yours i i would define altruism as having no more love for one person than another like like loving the human race as a whole uh instead of 
having like a hierarchy of love. Okay. But but I I understand yours like you know getting nothing from uh uh doing an action. Uh and I completely agree that there's you know like when you send your son to the rehab you you hope that it works, you know. Right. Uh and then if it does you're going to feel good and you're happy that you feel good and you're happy you did it and you got something positive out of it. Um But yeah, I don't I don't with your definition of it, I don't disagree at all. And that's a that's a perfectly acceptable definition, too. Okay. All right. Uh, that, what, what you were saying uh, just now is like um, when you're talking about having perfect love for, um, you know, everyone equally, right? It yeah. did remind me, um, there was something I heard about John Stuart Mill, right? And... So, uh, he's the, he's the main guy behind utilitarianism. Yeah. And of course we're talking about, uh, you know, your actions should be, uh, the most happiness for the greatest number of people. Right. And apparently like his mother, maybe it was, was, uh, like he was paying for her, like, like at the end of her life, right? He was paying yeah. her medical bills or having her in a nursing home, right? And he was kind of, he was confronted about this, like, um, and I, I can't remember, like, what his response was, but I think he was just kind of a, like a, he was basically admitting that, like, he wasn't, like, staying true to, uh, like, his own philosophy. But basically, yeah, he was he was confronted, you know, like, hey, obviously paying all this money to uh make sure that your mother has like a good quality of life at the end of her days like you could be doing more with this money yeah and it was just kind of interesting that like even even he like the guy who should have been bought in the most couldn't actually like follow through with like his own philosophy like when it came down to it yeah um yeah uh well none of these guys are perfect like uh emmanuel kant was a horrible racist uh <laughs> and uh but i mean it, that when you were saying that that made me think of uh like every now and again i'll see a uh ussr logo on the back of an iphone <laughs> sticker you know and uh and that's the problem you know with these all oh, that that's like uh not being able to circumvent nature in action you know it's like your your philosophy's garbage and it doesn't make room for these uh patterns in nature that cannot be changed uh and and you know you're living that out when you create this big philosophy and you're a big proponent of it, and then you don't engage in it in your daily life. Mm -hmm. uh, and then if you do engage in it in your daily life and you're, uh, you know, becoming incredibly fat or emaciated or you're making everyone around you hate you and uh, you're not doing any lasting change, then that's a very similar demonstration of it not working. Uh, like Peter Singer is an incredibly uh, contentious figure. Um, 
partly because he's like a animal rights guy and he thinks like animals should have legal representation in court and all that stuff. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. But, uh, I mean, John Stuart Mill was a very smart guy and he wrote good stuff. Um, he, he's like the, the guy that maybe not the first, but he's the guy that really cemented the idea of separation of powers. Uh, like when, when uh, the founding fathers were saying that we should have, you know, executive, legislative, judicial branches, that was largely almost exclusively from John Stuart Mill's uh, influence, um, which is a very nice idea. It doesn't work, but it's a very nice idea. Um, and, I mean, he with that, at least, he had the... the uh, uh, intentions of like maximum freedom in mind uh, mm -hmm. i don't think intentions matter nearly as much as action does right. i think i think we are what we do no matter if we say we're something else um but yeah that these people were very uh a lot of these people vast majority of uh uh like these proponents of different philosophies were incredibly hypocritical yeah, and I, I I guess to clarify, like um, I, I brought that up not to like really dig it like him personally because yeah. I I don't I I don't particularly care to you know degrade his name all that much, but um, he's gonna tweet at you, bro. He, he probably will. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, like I, I guess what I really wanted to uh, like go with or like the. I wanted to go or uh, kind of illustrate that his philosophy was contrary to nature. Yeah. And that at the end of the day, like he, he couldn't, he couldn't escape like what was actually important to him. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of like the, there are no atheists in a foxhole, right? Yeah. It's like, you can have this belief right and it doesn't mean that it's all bad but like at the end of the day like you're going to revert back to to nature right yeah and yeah so that's basically what i was where i was trying to go with that yeah in in our, in our second episode i'm pretty sure it was our property episode um mm, yeah i uh think I think I mentioned uh, uh, Friedrich Hayek's book, The Fatal Conceit, and I, mm -hmm. I don't think I, I explained it very well. Um, and I'm not going to explain it here, but I, I'm not going to explain it any better. But uh, I think everybody should check that book out because, like, Hayek was a a liberal atheist, and in that book, that book's just like a a testament to uh it's like his love letter to what religion and family and uh uh like private organizations like service clubs you know rotary or kiwanis and stuff like that uh do to society like what positive benefits they have 
and how we're playing with fire and how they're they're natural like they're haphazardly forming organizations mm. like uh, the the family wasn't you know uh written you know on a piece of paper and mandated you know from uh, somebody at the top of the social hierarchy you know right. it's just something that works that's the that's that that's evolved uh to to help us uh be successful um and uh that that's like every every time we we talked about nature in this recording uh, uh my mind goes back to that book and it's definitely worth checking out yeah uh yeah <laughs> i think that's a good stopping point <laughs> yeah no we covered a lot yeah, not, not anything we expected to talk about. No, I had no idea that we were going to talk about <laughs> philosophy. Like, <laughs> it is good That's stuff. my stuff, though, man. I'll talk about that anytime. Oh, yeah. No, that was excellent. <laughs> well, we ought, to, we ought to mention to everybody that we have a Discord now. Uh, and it's full of uh, depraved, uh, degenerate idiots. Uh, I have a couple in mind, but I'm not going to give them the satisfaction of, uh, calling them out. Uh, but Hey, if you're a, a depraved degenerate idiot, why don't you come and join us? Yeah. <laughs> it's a great time. No, for real. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fun. We have some good conversations in there. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a fun time. I'm glad we made it. Uh, and uh let's see we we switched our uh i guess you call it just our rss feed uh we switched from podbean to anchor and uh anchor's working out really well um and there isn't we're in fact now we're on more platforms than we were before because anchor just kind of it, uh, it automatically distributes your profile to different things. Where on Podbean, you had to do that manually. Um, mm -hmm. So if you're list if you're listening to us on what's a weird one I've never heard of Radio Public, uh, <laughs> thank you for uh, listening to us and uh, keep up. You know, sticking with like the the little platforms I've never heard of. I like that. That's very decentralized of you. Very, very. Uh, uh uh that's a that's a rebel move yeah very libertarian very libertarian <laughs> uh well you can uh find me on twitter at cotton Arcist. and then i'm on twitter as well at uh liberty zero with a zero at the end and all the links to the stuff will be in the show notes at uh dissectingliberty.com slash 10 this is our 10th episode nice <laughs> alright thank y'all for listening <laughs> <laughs>